women who are diagnosed later in life, we're used to dismissing our own symptoms. And we're also used to being incredibly resourceful and resilient and learning to make do with what we have. And that sort of bleeds out into other areas of our life. And all that to say is that I have finally gotten to a place where I am not going to settle for just good enough when it comes to my mental health, when it comes to my physical health. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am your host, Tracy Atsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 158 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter, and you can do that over at tracyoutsuka.com. You know, my purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. In the thousands of ADHD women that I have had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something, not a one. And our guest today, she is no exception. So I'm going to jump right in. I am thrilled to introduce you to Andrea Owen. Andrea is an author, global speaker, and professional certified life coach who helps smart, high-achieving women let go of five big default behaviors, perfectionism, control, numbing out, people-pleasing, isolating. You know, women do these things when they don't feel good enough. And when they don't feel good enough, their self-talk is shitty and mean. And when their self-talk is shitty and mean, they engage in those five behaviors and the cycle starts over. Andrea also helps women with poor boundaries, overachieving, self-sabotage, comparisonitis, imposter complex, and catastrophizing. Does that sound like anybody that you might know? Yeah. I get it. Anyway, Andrea has taught hundreds of thousands of women tools and strategies to be able to empower themselves to live their most kick-ass life through speaking, her books, coaching, and her wildly popular podcast with over 3 million downloads. She is the proud author of How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, 
14 Habits That Are Holding You Back from Happiness, which has been translated into 18 languages and is available in 22 countries. Her latest book, Make Some Noise, Speak Your Mind and Own Your Strength, just came out in August 2021 and is published by Tarcher Perigee Penguin Random House. When she's not juggling her full coaching practice or writing books, Andrea is busy riding her Peloton bike, I'm there with you, Andrea, chasing her two school-aged children or making out with her husband, Jason. She is also a retired roller derby player, having skated under the name Veronica Vane. Andrea, welcome. Did I get all that right? I love hearing my bio. It just makes me feel conceited and amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, we know that when we like when our bio is read to us, it means that we're doing all things right. Because I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. We're like, I want to be that person. Oh, wait, I am that person. Exactly. So I have to tell you, you're the second roller derby queen that I've interviewed for this podcast. I swear to you, that's an ADHD profession. Probably. Probably. Totally. There a lot of women very similar to me. And that's probably why I was attracted to it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It makes perfect sense. So before we go into your fantastic book, Make Some Noise, can we talk about your ADHD diagnoses first? Yeah. So I was recently diagnosed within the last handful of months. And some of the diagnosis that came back, I already knew about, but just didn't have a formal diagnosis. That was auditory processing disorder and OCD. Like I was pretty clear about that. And but the ADD was was new, but I had suspected. <laughs> I had suspected because both of my children were diagnosed many years apart. My son was diagnosed when he was five in 2013. And my daughter, who's 12 now. She was recently diagnosed about six or eight months ago. And that's when I started to get really suspicious about myself because the psychologist was telling my husband and I about how many girls are missed, how it shows up differently in missed in, in girls, and how for boys, it, it's often, you know, misunderstood that it's this hyperactive little boys type of thing. And I just never thought, ever thought that that would be me. I was also diagnosed with anxiety disorder in 2003. I was in my late 20s at that time. And I suspect that I always had ADD and that the anxiety was from that, <laughs> not being helped. And it just manifested in my 20s. And I, had, I was having meltdowns a lot in my 20s and I was finally medicated. Yeah. Totally. And did you feel like the medication never quite worked, that there was something else going on? You know, it's hard to remember. So I was put on Effexor, which there is some research. I think the jury is still out a little bit. There is some research that shows that Effexor can help people with ADD symptoms and ADHD symptoms. I was also in college at the time, finishing up my degree a little bit later than, than normal college age. But I don't know. <laughs> My short answer is I, I don't know. It's hard for me to remember and put the pieces together. I've always felt – it did help with the anxiety for sure, but I've always felt overwhelmed, impulsive. Just I've always described myself as, well, I guess I'm just impulsive and adventurous and spontaneous, and I always am the one with the bad ideas that can, that can talk everyone else into doing it. I'm just charismatic and and mm -hmm. and full of energy and and now it's like oh that's why I am the way that I am. Yeah. So you knew you were different and you couldn't quite explain it. I just thought I was a spaz. Honestly, <laughs> that's like how I described myself and it and into my 40s I was just finally like 
I am going to embrace this is who I am. There are some people that don't like it. I'm not for everyone. But now finally I'm like, oh my gosh, that's why I was the way I was. But honestly, Tracy, like I don't want to change who I am. Like I don't want to, you know, tone it down because I feel like I would lose a lot of my personality. I love it. So you use the term ADD, but just based on having read your book and hearing you speak, I'm assuming you're combined type. So yes. hyperactive mm-hmm. and inattentive. Yeah. Yes. You have a lot of energy. It just comes through the I microphone. Do. And I'm very yeah. fidgety. Um, but I was never it so at school, I was never the type of kid that got in a lot of trouble. I always was like below the radar, didn't want to cause a lot of attention to myself because I had so much anxiety. Like, <laughs> I rarely got in trouble. And if I did, I was devastated and ashamed and like took it all on. So so therefore I really was mostly a good girl until I was a teenager and then that's when I started to act out, but I was also really good at not getting caught. Yeah, well you're smart. It's <laughs> like be smart about it. <laughs> exactly. Cover your tracks. So so did you struggle in school as far as with the schoolwork or were I you did. one of these kids who got good grades? And- no, I did. And I had to I had to work really hard for decent grades. And starting in middle school, I was lucky enough that my parents hired a tutor for me, especially in math and science, where I really struggled was like was failing. And because elementary school, you know, you can you can kind of get by by doing the bare minimum. And middle school, it caught up with me. High school there was a lot of family circumstances going on my senior year. I was rarely at school and barely graduated. Funny enough, I ended up getting a degree in science and exercise physiology, but I had to study a lot. And I learned study skills and how I test best pretty quickly and figured out strategies to be able to help myself. So did you think that, you know, I'm just, I'm I'm really good at these social things, but I'm just not very smart. Yes. And you know what ended up happening? And I I don't know if this is a cultural thing or what. Growing up, I was considered conventionally attractive. And I hated that that's how I felt people wanted from me. And that like that's that's kind of all I was good for. You know what I mean? And and I just Ah. I wanted so badly to be taken seriously as Mm -hmm. a woman. And I wanted so badly to be thought of and categorized as smart and intelligent. So I worked oh I went overboard and this was more like well into my 20s and I graduated with honors. I was so proud to have a degree in science which is not easy. And that's really what I wanted. I wanted to be more than just a pretty face, quote unquote, mm-hmm. and I overachieved so that I could prove to everyone else how smart I was. And probably yourself too, right? 100%. Yeah, 100%. And I did it and I was like, "See, I'm not dumb. <laughs> and sometimes, to some extent, I think I still do that a little bit. Well, I think we all do, right? Where yeah. we're still, okay, are you sure that I'm really smart? Mm-hmm. You know, and, yeah. I, and I think that is what actually, where the drivenness comes from, that drive that we have to constantly be pro- So Andrea, once you knew it was ADHD and you had the benefit of hindsight, what are some of the symptoms that you always wondered about, but now you recognize them as clearly ADHD? 
That's such a good question. I think, well, one of the things is that I'm chronically impatient and I, I felt like, oh my gosh, am I just a jerk? Like, am I just an a-hole? So that <laughs> helped. And, and, you know, sometimes I've, I need a little patience, like we all do, but it just gave me a little bit of grace in that. And there's something about the clutter too. So it's funny, right before you and I had our appointment, I, I don't mind my own clutter but it's other people's clutter that makes me, it, my anxiety goes through the roof. Like I can't, I can't deal with, like it makes me uncomfortable just even talking about it and thinking about it. So I'll go through these spurts where, you know, I have piles and it's like organized clutter, but then I'll get to a moment where I just, I can't stand it anymore. I can't stand my own clutter. And I'll go through like, I call it like a decluttering binge where mm-hmm. I'll just totally clean everything up. And then of course, get distracted by other piles and other projects along the way. And then another symptom is the starting projects and running out of steam and not finishing them. So sometimes it's a project, like I bought a sewing machine a few years ago and I was all into like buying fabric and doing these things. And then I just, one day I was like, this is dumb. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> so that was done. And then also things like, oh God, this makes me feel so bad. So my, my uncle died a few years ago and I bought sympathy cards to send to my cousins, his children, and they sat on my desk for weeks and that turned into months. And then it's just embarrassing at that point. Like I can't send these sympathy cards and it's been six months later. I do things like that all the time. Best intentions, start the project and then fail. It's infuriating. You know, the things that you just mentioned, I can, and this is how I felt when I was reading your book, to be honest, I felt like I was reading something that I had written, like it, your voice was my voice. And so the things that you struggle with are exactly the things mm-hmm. that I struggle with. And so I just read Make Your Noise, as I said, and I didn't expect this book. I, I guess I went in with no expectations, but I have to tell you, By the time I got through your third chapter, I was so inspired by your voice because I felt like it was me talking to me Yeah, (laughs) that I'm now chomping at the bit to just buckle down and get this done by the end of the year. So I'm making a commitment and I wanted to thank you for that. Well, I'm Um, glad that you're, you're saying it here out loud. I mean, I know, (laughs) I know. So other people can harass me about it. Right. Exactly. But the thing about make some noises. I also felt as if this book was literally written for ADHD women. And there are a couple chapters where you, ah, just what you were saying was so relevant. And so what I would love to be able to do with you is to just go through a few of them. Is that okay? I'm curious which ones jumped out at you about that. Yeah. Okay. So taking up space, you Mm -hmm. talked a lot about women learning how to take up space. The one, though, that really hit home, I'll be honest, less so for me, although at times I do struggle with this, but I know this is something that my women struggle with mightily, and that Mm -hmm. is taking up space with your emotions, right? So we're always told that we're too loud, we're too all over the place, we're too excitable, we're too emotional. And it's not that we have more emotion, right? It's just that we feel more emotion. And so there was a part of this book throughout history, women have been told their emotions make them hysterical and unrestrained. So I wanted to ask you about where that came from, the emotion part. 
I'm assuming you wrote this book before you knew you had ADHD. Yes. (laughs) I wrote it before. Yeah. So tell me, where did that come from? Well, it comes from a couple of things, you know, obviously my own experience and also working with thousands of women at this point over the course of my 14 year career in women's empowerment. And it seems to be the consensus is it's either one or the other. We're, we're either too much of one thing or not enough of another and other women, we judge other women about this too. And, and it's just this, the culture that we're raised in typically, of course, I'm, I'm speaking generally tells us that we should be a certain way. Like we all grow up understanding whether it was explicitly told to us or just through messaging, what it means to be a good girl, to be a good woman and to be a good mother for those of us that choose to be mothers. And we know this, it's like embedded in our DNA almost, you know, I don't have science to back that. It's just an expression more or less, but, but yeah, to be outspoken and to be loud and powerful and ambitious, those are attributes that we reserve for men. I mean, Pew Research just did a study in 2016 where they asked Americans of, of all genders, you know, what are the virtues and attributes that you like and dislike in men and women? And it's surprising, but not surprising that words like powerful and ambitious were rated very high for men from both men and women and very low for women to be powerful and ambitious. And it's just, I saw that research, honestly, Tracy. And I was like, you mean this wasn't done in 1960? No, it was done in 2016. It was, it was very recent. So we've come a long way, but yet we have so far to go when it comes to these stereotypes and these sort of boxes of conformity that we put women in. Yeah. And I think that because of the fact that ADHD women, Mm -hmm. especially feel more emotion, right? And many times we express it a lot and it makes people (laughs) uncomfortable. It makes Mm -hmm. people uncomfortable. And of course there are exceptions, you know, it's, it's typically not okay. There are some social circumstances, like if you're in a work meeting in a conference room, like you cannot be interrupting people and, you know, and fidgeting with your, (laughs) like, of course there are some things Mm -hmm. that we need to learn to sort of assimilate into society. But what I'm talking about is expressing your opinions or or pushing back on, on ideas or feedback and just expressing yourself emotionally with your ideas and theories. That's what we're afraid of many times because we are told that it's not okay. We're told to tone it down. We're We're told, you know, we're too emotional, hysterical, blah, 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 blah. So we tend to not say anything. Yeah. And I think that's compounded for women with ADHD because I I don't know, there's just something emotion is more important to us, right? Because we feel it more. And so when you're constantly told you're to this, you're to that, you're too emotional, which is something that society says to women anyway, right? All the time, because they're not comfortable with emotion because guess what? The patriarchal society isn't comfortable with emotion. Yeah. Well, I want to kind of ask you something too, since you're so much more of an expert on this and, and do you find it common with ADHD women where we have learned, cause I have certainly learned to compartmentalize my emotions and my energy. So for instance, I've always said I'm really great in a crisis, which is true because I have learned to completely shut everything down mm-hmm. on a dime. 
And I, it can be great again, like in a crisis, but it also cannot be great when I'm in a relationship with someone. So Mm -hmm. I tend to be either all in completely or all out, totally walled off and almost just like I could flip a switch and shut all the emotions down. It's almost eerie to watch from the outside. (laughs) I think I'm exactly like you, but then I have a follow-up question to what you just said. Are there some things though, that no matter how hard you try to shut them down, you are just so affected by them that there's no way. Oh yeah. Yes. This is, I, so way back in the nineties, someone recommended, it must've been my therapist recommended the book, the highly sensitive person. Did you, Mm -hmm. did you ever read that? No, but I'm well aware of it. You're aware of it. Okay. And then I ended up giving it to my dad. So my dad passed away in 2016. And when I got my ADHD diagnosis, I was like, oh my God, my dad was undiagnosed yeah. his whole life. Yeah. So I had given the book in the nineties to my dad to read it. Cause he, he and I are so similar in that way, but yeah. So for instance, violence on television yeah, in person too, like I do not understand how people can find MMA fighting entertaining. Oh my like, God. Yes. What? Or boxing. <laughs> yes. I can't even watch the commercials. I agree. can't even watch the highlights. Mm-hmm. I am affected for days afterwards. And there's certain movies, especially movies that are based on true stories. Like I know the Titanic is back on Netflix. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I was, I was torn up for weeks after I saw that movie, Tracy, like just, and it kind of sucks because I want to be a person who is able to be an activist and know about these things. And I don't mind if someone tells me about it, that's not as bad than actually seeing it. It's it. Oh my gosh. And yeah. (laughs) I am totally like you. There are so many things that I want to do and I want to participate in, but I know that I would, I would be completely useless. And so I do what you do, which is I wall it off until there's something, this is so silly. It's really not silly, but, um, and I don't even know the full story because I can't bring myself to go read about it. But what I heard from my son is that there was a football player. So we were away for the weekend and it literally affected my whole weekend. I kept thinking about this football player who played for the Raiders. And um, about a week ago, he got in his car and he went 140 miles an hour in this car. He ended up killing a woman. His girlfriend is in ICU and the Raiders kicked him off the team Basically, he's going to go to jail. Yeah, He's 22 years old. Oh, geez. And I know that most people would probably be thinking, oh, my God, that poor woman. And does she have a family? And of course, I thought that. But the thing that upset me so much was I just know that kid has ADHD. And what makes him such a good football player, this ability to take risks, this, you know, just going in there and just knocking him down is exactly what caused him to make that decision, rash decision, right. You know, Mm -hmm. and he was drinking, he was double the alcohol level. And I just like, oh my gosh, if he only knew that he had ADHD and it it just, it was ridiculous the whole weekend. All I could think Mm -hmm. about was this poor kid and what was going on. And I know he's 22, but we know that the, you know, the brain develops so much later and until you're about 25. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it literally ruined my whole weekend. But then there are other things like you where it's like, nope, you know, I'm walled off. 
So totally. Yeah. And it, I think it depends on the day and probably my menstrual cycle. As yes. Well, but, hormones. But, yes. That, but that makes me think of mm-hmm. one of the diagnoses that I also got with my ADHD was impulse control disorder, which makes so much sense. Because what is that? Isn't that just ADHD? It's one of the ADHD symptoms, but it's sort of exacerbated. So, and here's how my psychologist explained all of my diagnosis to me, because it was kind of a a whirlwind. So it was ADHD, impulse control disorder, nonverbal learning disorder, which is a whole nother conversation, OCD and auditory processing disorder. And she said, it's kind of like a stew. And she said, someone might have the exact same diagnosis as you, but they might have more meat in their stew than potatoes. And you maybe have more potatoes. And she said, it's really difficult to discern where one stops and the next one starts. So she said like the labels, you know, don't overthink it. You know, she must know me very well, but (laughs) in my research, so impulse control disorder and OCD. So I am a chronic cuticle chewer and I have been since I was a child and I have yet to find a fix for it, like a solution. Like I've, I have read Reddit threads about different medications and I have yet to find an answer. So, and I'm asking this for selfish reasons. <laughs> you can take this out if you want, but have you found anything that has helped you not do that anymore? You know, um, it's really interesting. So first of all, I don't pick my skin when I don't break out. And I remember when I was a teenager, my parents would say, well, the reason you're breaking out is because you're constantly touching your face. And I'm like, no, that's not the reason. The reason was hormones Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, versus picking around cuticles and around your fingernails. I never used to do that until probably about five years ago. So I really think it had to do with perimenopause. Okay. Where my dopamine levels went down and that's a way for me to elevate my dopamine levels. So I finally get what you're talking about. And I always prided myself on having really, you know, good hands and pretty nails and I can grow hair and nails. I can't grow height. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so the only thing that has made a difference for me is when, and I don't know if you've noticed this, I don't do it all the time. So there can literally be weeks that go by where I don't do it. And then all of a sudden it just gets really bad again. Mm -hmm. Does that Mine happen like, to you? I, I, will, I won't have weeks that'll go by, but I'll have days that'll go by. And then without even really knowing it until I'm in it, I'll have done it so bad. And, and I don't even notice until I cause myself pain. And I'm like, oh, ouch, gosh, that one yeah. hurts. And then I realize yes. that I've been doing it. Yes. For me, it's definitely anxiety. I notice that when I'm not really working out hard, that it's worse. So for example, when I was in New York and all we did was walk, which is great exercise, but it's not enough for me. I started doing it again. So honestly, the only thing that works for me is I tend to do it on my thumbs and mm-hmm. I, I wear a Band-Aid. Okay. <laughs> and it's so, it's so ugly, but it is the only way that I can stop it. Sometimes in the evening, I'll find it's especially bad. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I guess you could wear gloves. I if you find your maybe if you, you know, do you find like, maybe you do it when you're in the car and then I would say I'd wear gloves, but you can't be wearing gloves in the summer. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's hard to, I found it's hard to type with, um, with band-aids. I bought anxiety rings and I just, this just a couple months ago and I, I wear them on my thumbs and that helps a little bit. I've also found that getting regular manicures mm-hmm. helps and also cuticle oil. So as long as my cuticles are soft I won't want to mess with them. But as soon as they're dry and there's like a a rough edge to it, that's what I'm obsessed with fixing. And then the whole thing is all downhill from there. 
And that is exactly what it is. It's a tactile thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I did a whole episode on this and there was something that worked for some women. It was a supplement and I can't remember what it is right now, but I will post it in the show notes and I'll send you a message and let you know what it is. I will listen to it and I will buy that supplement in bulk. Yeah. There were women who (laughs) were talking about it in our big Facebook group and for some of them, it really worked for them. It didn't work for me. I tried, okay. but all right, I'll try. I can't do any of that stuff. Okay. So we were talking about taking up space with your emotions. And then you went into, in your book, taking up space with your voice. And so I want to tell the story, if it's okay, about the date with the guy. Do you know yes, what I'm talking about? I do know which date. I've had a, I've had a few disastrous ones, but I know which <laughs> one you're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hold on. Let me find it. Years ago, I was on a date with a man I'd met online. In emails and on the phone, he was hilariously funny, and I couldn't wait to meet him in person. Sitting across from me at a restaurant, he was telling me a gut-busting story. And at one point in surprised response to something funny about his story, I said while laughing out loud, shut the fuck up, and continued to laugh. He immediately got a solemn face and said, you're too nice and pretty to use language like that. My immediate response was surprise, anger, and shame. My silent thought was, well, then you need to get into your time machine and go back to 1950 to find yourself a wife. However, I gave no snarky response, nor did I even respond with a kind of disagreement to his opinion. On the contrary, I slept with him that night when I didn't particularly want to. Uh This was long before I realized how often I was giving away my power. On that date, I handed it all over to him, practically wrapped up in a bow. If you're on a date or speaking with a new coworker or anyone for that matter, and they tell you their opinion about you and it's flat out wrong, please, for the love of all that is holy, do not make the same mistake I did. A simple reply is I don't share that opinion. I was like, oh my God, that is so relevant. I believe, to ADHD women who Mm -hmm. often feel like, you know, they're too loud, they're too funny, they're too much. Well, I don't know if anybody ever feels. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And so they're shamed, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and that story was hard. You told it well. It was hard to tell over words because without the context and, and he, and he was so funny. And my response was, you know, I was laughing and I was like, shut the fuck up. Cause it was so mm-hmm. funny what he was telling me. So, so, you know, like the tone and, and how I had said it. And I, when he had that response, now I would have a, a totally different response, but having done all the work that I've done. But back then I was so stunned and taken in the back and like this immediate power dynamic was created, you know, like where he was setting the tone and basically telling me, this is how the rules are around here. And I was so afraid to push up against that because I was desperate. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. I was desperate for love and attention at that point in my life. But even if you're not desperate for love and attention, when, when you take up space with your voice and with your sense of humor, with your innate personality, I mean, as long as you're not being rude and offensive, <laughs> like that is yours. That is your birthright to be able to take up space. Well, and I just... That kind of just cut me reading that because I could just see Andrea, you know, jubilant, joyful, just so in the moment, having so much fun. Mm -hmm. And then that. Yeah. 
has the right to come in and say, no, you're not allowed to be you. It was, or it was incredibly right. shaming. Yeah, it was incredibly yeah. shaming. Yeah. And I think that happens to a lot of ADHD women because of this fear that we're always two, two of everything, right? So then you go on and you say, oh, this is so good. Another example of where our opinion matters is at the doctor's office. First and foremost, women more often than men are dismissed when telling doctors their symptoms, and even more so for Black women, and many times will resist even going to the doctor in the first place for this reason. Second, you know your body best, but sometimes second-guess your own symptoms or worries. You must listen to your body. Just brilliant. I mean, I talk all the time about how we have these rudders inside of ourselves, and we can feel when we're feeling positive emotion, that means we're moving in the right direction. Versus negative emotion means, hey, there's something going on here. And this happens to ADHD women all the time where we're told we're too smart, we're too successful to have ADHD. You know, we went to college, we yeah. weren't diagnosed as a child. And don't you know, honey, women don't have ADHD. Right. But you don't seem like you have it. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly. with a tilted head. You know, like I've gotten that one. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's one of those things where... I think especially women who are diagnosed later in life, we're used to dismissing our own symptoms. And we're also used to being incredibly resourceful and resilient and learning to make do with what we have. And we can often – that sort of bleeds out into other areas of our life. And, and the whole doctor thing, I think, my gosh, I have gotten so much better in that. And, and just – you know, I, I'm in like this two-year – battle, for lack of a better word, of trying to figure out why I'm so tired, why is my energy and motivation going away? And I am slowly chipping away and getting to it. But part of me wants to say, okay, this is good enough. I feel better than how I felt when this all started. Mm -hmm. But the reality of it is like, no, I'm not done. So I will keep going to the doctor. And like now we're on to, okay, it must be a food intolerance and I've been prescribed. Um, have you heard of TMS before? No. <laughs> it's called not like PMI, right? No, guess. <laughs> it's um hold on. It is called transcranial magnetic stimulation oh, therapy. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's what my ADHD doctor has actually recommended. Yeah. Because apparently I'm I am antidepressant resistant. <laughs> yep. Yep. So and all that to say is that I have finally gotten to a place where I am not going to settle for just good enough when it comes to my mental health, when it comes to my physical health. You know, there's something called uh, the Fisher-Wallace stimulator. I sound like an idiot, but it's almost like a headband you wear on your head. Okay. And I have used it. My son has used it. I swear by it because, again, I can't do any medication either. Mm -hmm. But it sounds similar to what uh, your doctor has prescribed. Yeah. I haven't quite pulled the trigger on that yet because from what I understand, it's, you have to commit like five days a week for six weeks going into this office and getting hooked up to the machine. Okay. So yours sounds much more extreme than the Fisher-Wallace stimulator, which is something you have in your home. Okay. And you do it 20 minutes, um, 20 minutes every day, I believe. You can do it twice a day. And if you go to their website, there are all sorts of studies on it. And I know that there is one doctor, and I think he's at Columbia, and he prescribes it to his depression patients, mm -hmm. and 70% of them have gotten so much better. Wow. So 
anyway, that's why I was like, Marcus, you're going to try this. And, you know, I mean, it was hard to get him to do it, but he was like, yeah, there is, there's something here. And I know for me, it made a big difference. Um, okay. With anxiety. Well, I'll keep you posted. Actually. By the time I have you on my show, then I'll, I'll tell you how it goes. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Okay. So you said um, at the end of this chapter, well, obviously if you, if you're getting nowhere, find a new doctor, right? right. If you feel like you are with a doctor who, again, you feel negative emotion, you don't feel positive emotion, you know, and you feel like you're not working on this together, that he or she is the authority figure. And you're basically the patient who's not really allowed to express your, well, you're not a voice. Mm-hmm. Find mm-hmm. a new doctor. Yeah. You also said, look for other women who do these things and befriend them, follow them on social media, read their blogs, listen to their podcasts, be in and around their energy. We've all heard you can't be what you can't see. And this is a perfect illustration of something we need to notice more in our lives. Women unapologetically taking up space in their lives. I love that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I do too. (laughs) I wrote it. Okay. So my favorite chapter in Make Some Noise is chapter nine, stop allowing the brainwashing to make you small. It is honestly my favorite chapter. And (laughs) you tell a story in here about your stepfather. And it was my friend's stepfather. Oh, your friend's stepfather. Yes. My best friend's stepfather. Mm -hmm. Can you just tell that story? Just- Yes. So she had been, she, I'd known her for a a few years at this point and I went over to her house. We were probably like 15, 16 maybe. And her stepfather said to me, and he was, you know, not scolding me or anything. It was very casual. And he says, Hey, I saw you the other day walking over by the school and I honked at you to say hi and you flipped me off. And he was laughing. And I knew exactly. I, I wasn't going to deny it because that is, <laughs> wasn't the first time that I had done that. And at that point in my teenage life, I had been street harassed and catcalled since I was 13 years old. And whenever someone honked at me, it was sort of like a reflex at that point. And I would do it. And sometimes I would be around my friends and they would get embarrassed and laugh. And I just have always been that way, just brazen and impulsive. And you know, thank you, ADHD. And so when he said that at me, I could tell that he was confused. Like, why on earth would my stepdaughter's friend, who's a child, flip me off or even feel the need Mm -hmm. to do that? And I was like, how do I explain to him that I thought he was a creepy dude? How do I explain that I had been street harassed and catcalled for years by men old enough to be my father and sometimes grandfather, like sticking their tongues out and like lewd comments and gestures. And it was so incredibly uncomfortable. And I felt so ashamed in that moment for having done that to him and not having the words and even the knowledge to know why I felt that way. I was like a mini feminist in the making, but like didn't understand what actually was happening. And so that I, I tell that story to show that this happens at such a young age for most of us. It starts to brew and the fire is lit and continues to simmer for years and years and years and can also bleed out into other ways of our life and can keep us very, very small. So you then took a women's studies class many years later. Like mm-hmm. how, I think you were 31. I was so 31. That would have been what, 15 years later? 15 years later. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So why did you decide to take that women's studies class? Because did you know anybody that was interested in women's studies? No. Only feminists, and I did not identify as one. <laughs> so, okay. so the relationship that I was in prior to the one that I'm in now, so I'm, I'm married, and this is my second marriage that I'm in, and we have two children together. My previous relationship, I had met him when I was 17. I was very young and impressionable, and we were together and got married up until I was about 30. We split up. So his family was extremely conservative, and my parents weren't all that politically involved, and I don't even ever remember there being a conversation about politics. So I just took on the ideologies of my boyfriend at the time, his family, and just consumed whatever it was that was, you know, Fox News was on. Okay, that was the truth. That was the news station that we listened to. This was also during 9-11 where things, you know, got really heated in the United, here in the United States. And I was very pro-America. And my view of feminists, because that this is all I had been told, was that they were man-hating lesbians. Most of them were lesbians. They hated men. Um, they were very much against women who wanted to be stay-at-home mothers. It was a very incorrect view of what feminism was. Feminism mm-hmm. was like out to destroy families, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. I had to take a, a women's studies class to satisfy my major. And this particular class just was worked with my schedule and it was called men and masculinity. And I was like, it kind of sounds interesting. And I remember the very first day of class, we had to introduce ourselves to the person next to us. And I was a little bit older than most of the people in the class. Most of them were of college age and I was, you know, 31. I was also pregnant at the time. So I was like this 31 year old pregnant lady. I was pregnant with my daughter. And was that the first pregnancy? No, it was my second. My my son was- um, But first daughter. One and a half. Yes. My my son was my firstborn. And I sat next to this young woman who who introduced herself and she said, I identify as a feminist. Meanwhile, I had a Bush Cheney bumper sticker on my folder, like on my binder. <laughs> yeah. And so I was very candid with her and I said, you probably won't like me because I'm a Republican. And, <laughs> and so we're, you know, and, and I got to know each other. And that was, Tracy, the first time in any class I listened more than I contributed because these young people were so intelligent and had the most critical thinking and smart, intelligent, and also these debates that did not include arguing or name calling. Like I was blown away and impressed with the intelligence of these people. And I learned so much. The bottom line of it is that class was about deconstructing patriarchy and misogyny and what those actually mean. What does feminism mean? What is misogyny? And I had an out-of-body experience. I mean, when I came to, no, (laughs) the long and short of it was that I realized, and this unraveled so much of my identity up until that point, I realized I had been a feminist the whole time and I didn't know it. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh my God, this is the thing I've been not just mad about, but rage-filled about mm-hmm. for so long. And it's this. And I didn't even know what to think anymore. I felt so disillusioned um, and I felt so ashamed of the way that I had behaved to some of my friends and coworkers uh, when we were arguing about politics. And it just it changed my entire life that one class. 
You know what's so interesting? So I had the exact same experience as you did, but it was my freshman year of college. I basically, I was going to be a dentist and I basically flunked out of, you know, well, not really, but almost, I could have, I not good enough to become a dentist, right? So I decided, okay, I need to do something else. And that's when I decided to go into political science. And so I had to stay for the summer and take two classes in order to get my credits back to where they needed to be in order to change, you know, majors. Mm-hmm. And I took a women, I took a creative writing class and a women's studies class. And I have to tell you that class literally changed my life. It taught me to question everything. Yeah. Maybe we were born that way. I'm not really sure. Like you said, know. we've always been like that. But you didn't have anybody in your family that was like that? Any any woman? No. N- zero. And and it is not like anybody was talking the opposite. Like I didn't have people saying, you know, women should always stay home and make sure that you, you know, I was talking to, I over Thanksgiving, I was talking to my stepfather and he's 81 and he was telling us that so he grew up in a home, you know, he was born in like 1940 or something. And he was grew up in a home where there was two boys and two girls. His sisters used to make his bed growing up. Yeah. He didn't have to do any chores. And I was like, what? <laughs> and, but we didn't, I didn't have any of that. Like that was not shown to me. It was, it was sort of just like this empty void that was never talked about, which is on theme for the rest of the things that the topics in our family too. But I didn't have any jumping off point at all. I didn't have any point of reference. But I will say, so one of my great aunt on my dad's side, my grandmother's sister, she was a nun who moved from Los Angeles to British Columbia, Canada, and was one of the nuns who, um, I don't know, do they rally? Do they sign petitions? I don't know what it was. <laughs> but she was one of the pioneering nuns who made it possible for the nuns to not have to wear their habit, which is like their nun costume, yeah. Um, yeah. When, when they have days off. Like they could wear like their regular clothes as long oh as they – And I was like, oh my gosh, she's like a nun feminist. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that was the closest thing I ever knew about women speaking up for their own rights. So we were at a dinner party this weekend, and the topic came up about a man asking his girlfriend's dad for her hand in marriage. I know. And my husband, we were the only ones who spoke up against it. And my husband said, look, if a young man asked him about our daughter, he would basically just tell him, go ask her. Right. Raise her to make decisions for herself. She doesn't need a man, even if it's her dad to make that decision. Now, if they both came to us and they wanted to talk about it, sure, then great. But this whole, I think that what's happened is we're often educated just enough to believe what we're taught, but we're not educated enough to question what we've been taught. I'm I'm not against tradition if it makes sense. I'm actually all for for it. But I want to know why we're doing this. I don't want my brand to be ignorance. And just because it's always been done, that's what we're going to do. And I think for the same reason, I didn't take my husband's last name, not because I don't love him, but because if I do anything in my life, it's because of my parents and the support they provided me, not his parents, even though he had wonderful parents. When I look at my life, I think that, uh, you know, we had those rules too that you were just talking about where, so it was my sister and I, and we were older, and then we had two younger brothers and they never had to do housework either but we would do the housework. Their thing was, well, they'll go help their dad in the garage or mm-hmm. you know, outside, but they never did. <laughs> but I still sort of feel like my mother was basically a secret feminist, but she 
did everything that was expected of women of that generation. And she did it so well. Like she worked when we were older and after work, she would literally go to the grocery store and shop. Then she would go home, make an amazing dinner. She was so good in all those domestic arts. Then she'd usually wash the dishes, do all the housework. And I think she secretly and not so secretly resented it, but I think she was before her time and somehow she didn't think she had a choice, but she gave me a choice. What I love so much about my parents is they let me be me. And I think they liked the fact that I kept my name. And some members of my husband's family, they will never call me by my real name, Tracy Otsuka. I'm Tracy Stefani. You know, when my mother-in-law passed away, his aunt told me, if we use my real name, people would think we're divorced. So <laughs> my husband was like, well, wait a minute. Mrs. Stefani is my mom. You're Tracy Otsuka. Yeah. I was always like, well, if he doesn't care, why did they care? Right. So I... I couldn't agree with you more. And I love, my daughter is a total feminist and she's done way more reading than I ever have. But it's just about exactly what you say, just kind of questioning, well, why are we doing this? And wait, you said, you said something. I want to read this. We've been taught that we are valuable only if we are beautiful, quiet, nice, and have the perfect figure. That we are most valuable when we are vastly productive and carry most, if not all, of the mental and emotional labor. We've been taught to often question ourselves because confidence and self-assuredness are rarely something we learn growing up. And again, I think this here is why women with ADHD struggle so much more than men with ADHD. We believe we have to do it all. We have to do the career, the home, the child rearing. Mm-hmm. And it's just a bunch of BS. We don't have to do it all. Right. <laughs> And then we wonder why we have health issues and burnout and insomnia and anxiety. And, yes. and I'm not saying that that you know that doing all the labor and or ADHD is the the root cause of that, but it sure doesn't help. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't. And again, what is it about women that somehow we're supposed to be better at all these things? Yeah. And I I honestly believe that the only reason that I loved parenting so much was because I had a husband who. There are no rules for him. You know, he's like, I can do anything that I'm good at. And so Mm -hmm. we split things and split things up and he would do what he was really good at and I would do what I was really good at. And luckily, we were both not good at the same thing. The same thing, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not sure what would have happened, right? Um, That's good. Yeah, well, that whole chapter really is about just nailing down for the reader is what I want them to walk away with is just getting like radically curious about that question. What is my conditioning and what is my truth? Because Mm -hmm. your conditioning oftentimes is in direct opposition of what your truth is. And it's, it's not something that you can answer very quickly and just move forward with. I think it's one of those questions that you have to ask yourself over and over, especially in times when you hesitate to speak up when someone, when you're on a first date with someone and they've said something condescending and shaming, when um, just really anything, if you're hesitating to ask for the raise or to to raise uh, your rates, if you're a service provider, if you are hesitating to, to vote, you know, like really yeah. anything, what is your conditioning versus what is your truth? What were you taught was important in being a woman or a mother or a little girl? Because whether it was explicitly said out loud or not, it was said in so many words. So the other thing that you said that I think is so spot on, 
I wish for all that energy, what you were just talking about, all the negative energy, right, to be replaced by learning what's important to them, what their values are, how they want to make the world a better place, for all that energy to be replaced with unconditional self-acceptance, self-trust, and self-love. Just loving what their strengths are, right? Mm -hmm. And loving who they are as people and what makes them different and maybe totally too much. Yeah. I mean, it's taken me... I think I started to really embrace my muchness around. <laughs> I love that. I, I just that just came to me. Probably around my mid to late thirties, and I'm 46 now. Is is and I still have moments where I kind of duck my head and I'm like, oh my gosh, was that too loud? Are people going to you know? And I don't know about you, but I've learned to read a room very quickly. <laughs> Walk into to a room where there's a lot of people, and and if I'm if I'm talking or if people are looking over at me, and my voice is a little bit louder, and and I talk very fast, gauging people's reactions, their body language. Language, their their glances to be able to gauge how they feel about me, and maybe I overthink it, but it also comes from decades of of learning to read people and almost always feeling like I am taking up too much space and that I need to tone it down. You know, okay. So my response to that is: I see Andrea being Andrea. She's loud. She's buoyant. She's happy. She's having fun. And I look at Andrea and I say, I want to get to know her. She's my people. And the other people are going to say she's too much. Well, yeah. good. good. I don't want to be around those people anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember before I be, you know, started doing this work, it was my last corporate job that I loved. And I had this such a fantastic coworker that was in the cubicle next to me, but the, the walls were really low. So it was more of an open concept office. And his name was Ted. He was married to our HR director and they had two little boys. And he just, he was just this really, really great guy. And I was, I was, it was before I married my husband, Jason, and I was dating at the time. And I was in one of those places where I was just feeling like I was too much and just, I'm too loud. I'm too, uh, I put up too much energy. I take up too much space. And I, I said, Ted, do you think I'm annoying? Yeah. And he paused. And I trusted his his judgment. Like he was going to tell me the truth. And and he, I think he knew that I was asking his opinion as a straight man. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, am I annoying? And he said, I don't think you are, but I could see how some people would think <laughs> that about you. And those just aren't your people. And I oh. appreciated that so much. And and he told me the truth. He didn't say, no, not at all. You know, because <laughs> it's I am annoying to some people. And it took me a long time to be okay with that. There are people who annoy me. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Andrea, I just think that you're meant to lead and not follow. <laughs> right. <laughs> and look at you leading, right? Right, right. <laughs> okay. So before I let you go, I would love to know, what do you think the key to living successfully with ADHD is? Oh, if you ask me this on, you know, any day that ends with a Y, I'm going to give you a different answer on all of those days. But today, yeah. I'm going to say lots and lots of self-compassion. Mm. Lots. Perfect. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great response. And then do you have a ADHD workaround that you want to share? Um, that's a good question. Okay, here's what I do. Whenever I get gung-ho and hyper-focused on a new hobby or project, before I hit buy now, 
on all of the supplies <laughs> or, or online classes mm. that are going to teach me this hobby, skill, or project, I give myself like a solid 24 to 48 hours. And sometimes I consult my best friend before I quit my job, you know, and, and move to Bali to start a Pilates practice. <laughs> <laughs> it's always something. I I also ask myself, like, am I just bored? Am I bored with what's going on in my life? Do I need some kind of excitement? Do I need a nap? Do I need to drink more water? I think that this diagnosis has helped me so much to have that self-compassion for myself and also pause. It's just a, all it is is a pause before I pull the trigger and hit by now and start a new. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I do start the new hobby and then it ends up, you know, in my attic. That's okay. That's just how my brain works. <laughs> I totually do that with snarky emails. I actually have kind of stopped writing snarky emails I've at all. I've stopped too. But um, yeah. I write them I, in the notes app on my phone. Right. And then never send them. Sometimes I take screenshots and send it to my best friend and we laugh about it. <laughs> And I feel better. <laughs> I totally get it. Well, this is a perfect spot to wrap up. Get the book. I just love it. Make some noise. Speak your mind and own your strength. And I'm assuming you can find it in bookstores everywhere. Bookstores everywhere. It's also on Audible or ebook. And yes. Are you reading online. it in Audible? Yes, I read it. Mm -hmm. Oh, how fun. Okay. Yeah, it was fun. I'm going to have to check that out. So we're going to link all this in the show notes. I also understand that there's a workbook that you can download that accompanies the book. So while you're reading the book, you can do the work. Where do people go for that? It's andreaowen.com slash MSN. It's just the acronym for the book. And the, you only have to put in your receipt number if you buy multiple copies because there's additional bonuses for that. But if you just buy one copy, you can just you can download it for free there. Wonderful. Again, we're going to put that in the show notes. So Andrea, is there one last thought you'd like to leave us brilliant ADHD women with? <sighs> That's all. Just that deep exhale. That's what I'm going to leave you with. Because <laughs> don't we all need one sometimes? <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> Breathing is so important. Right. Okay, my friends. Thank you so much for spending time with us here today. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you here next week. Let's focus on our strengths and stay brilliant. And again, Andrea, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smart-ass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK -okay system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.